You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Arlington Remastered. Chapter 6. The General. From the Journal of Sarah Arlington, District of Columbia, February 12th, 1883. When I returned to our house this evening, Thomas was already there, sat at his desk, having brought his work home with him. I could see he was in no mood to talk, but I have given him his space quite enough these past few weeks. I chose my approach carefully and went with coquettish. (sighs) I'm going to say it again. We need to just bring our four-poster bed into work and set up a proper sleeping room between our offices. We've got the hammocks. You never use them. Plus, I can't massage tired shoulders in a hammock. Would you like one? Not right now. How about some food? Hmm. I can get something made pretty quickly. You want big and comforting, or quick and easy to eat with your hands? Uh, whatever you would like. If I lay the table... Will you drop that in a little while and come eat with me? No. Can I eat in here with you? I am so, so busy, Sarah. (sighs) I am too. But we have to take a pause. We have to breathe. I'll breathe when I'm dead. This is a practical matter. The director needs to rest so he can be at his very best. You were up until 4 a.m. today. And then you left the house at what, seven? That means you barely slept at all. And feel these shoulders. Things didn't go well with truth today, did they? They did not. You're all bunched up. I don't believe you're going to sleep tonight either. Most likely not. You know what I think? I think you need to engage in some exceptionally sordid sexual practices. Eat heartily, and then sleep like a baby. I really would love to just put this down. You want to do that thing? I do. Let's go and do that thing, then. Wait, wait, just a moment. Let me just get this out of the way. I want Butler to go around with you. Well, I didn't realize you were in the mood for that. As a sharpshooter. You're out there more than I am anyway. It's a matter of practicality. You take him. Are you pushing him away? No, not at all. He's only just started. I just want to make sure you're safer than I am. You're never going to trust them, are you? Not for a second. When we're around agents, NIA, it's different. I know I am who they want me to be. I can let my guard down a little. But those times when we're in a crowd, I feel like I'm being attacked. At every moment. And I know it doesn't bother you in the same way. But I can't... I can't imagine that ever not being the case for me. My poor love... I honestly thought having the Major around would change that. Well, it hasn't. It's been two days. Give it time. And you know, really, if that's still the case, 
then we'll need one each. I have a pretty good idea of who else we could get. That's fine, just as long as you're not going around unprotected. I can handle the crowds. Sometimes I think I should be the public face of this particular little outfit of ours. It would better suit our dispositions. Do you think we made a mistake? You know, saying the handbook was all for me. Do you? I feel like I'm a fraud. Any day now, somebody is going to challenge me on my true measure of faith in humanity. We balance out. What did we say when we wrote page one? You bring the plan. I have enough faith for the two of us. I wonder if you'd do better without me. You can plan better than you claim. I need you, Thomas. You can have faith in that, at least. Now, how about you and I? <sighs> Arlington. All right, I'm listening. A family has been attacked by masked horsemen who left a burning cross on their lawn. What is it? Sir, they were former slaves. What is it? Dinner's off. From the Journal of Sarah Arlington, District of Columbia, February 13th, 1883. Major Butler accompanied me in a carriage across to the military headquarters in Alexandria County this morning. What I find most appealing about him is his comfortable air in the absence of conversation. I find it reassuring in a way I had not anticipated. This is your home turf, isn't it? That's right, ma'am. I only just cleared out my locker yesterday. Say we're walking past a regiment of white scarves some of whom are none too happy with the marching orders they've been given over the past few months. One of them tries to take a shot at me. You'd shoot him first, right? Yes, ma'am. How about two men? I reckon I can take out two of them. Three? Maybe. Four angry soldiers. How far do you plan on taking this? Could you take out four gunmen before they had a chance to get a shot off at me? Yes, I could. I was discussing this with Thomas. He's considering posting you with me on a semi-permanent basis. May I make a suggestion? By all means. My wife, Captain Oakley, is currently sharpshooting for Hayes. When he gets back, how about you and Director Arlington employ the two of us? I cannot conceive of a more well-oiled two-man sharpshooting machine. What a capital idea. That would also give the two of you more time working together now, wouldn't it? I'll confess, that would be a fairly sweet bonus. You miss her? Yes, I do. It... It's as though a part of me has been asleep since she left. It only ever wakes up when she comes back. Not my alertness, don't you worry about that, but... Part of my heart. We just become our better selves when we're together. I understand. You feel like you weren't really you until she arrived. And now she's gone, I'm just... Waiting to be myself again, yes. Could the two of you together take out eight angry soldiers before they had a chance to get a shot off? This thought has been preoccupying you lately, hasn't it? Not me personally, no. The director, then? He's a little overprotective, yes. Last night I had to talk him down from a series of 
increasingly irrational scenarios he was shaping. He's also worried the military may become divided. That business in Richmond made him nervous. Do you mind talking about it? No. I assume you know what happened or you probably wouldn't have retained my services. I do know. But I'd like to hear it in your own words. It came down to Captain Sykes. John. I fought beside him before and his unit was loyal and respectful of his actions. Did you know that his father died when we took Petersburg? That was the inciting incident. I think it had been brewing for a lot longer than that. He was a thoughtful man. This wasn't a sudden, impassioned reaction. I believe he would have taken the death as a matter of course if his father had been a white scarf, but it was quite the opposite. The elder Sykes was in the group that were going rebel on us. Their reasoning was much the same as you'll find in any number of places that have grown accustomed to their own survival pattern. They lived ten years without us, and now we come riding in like the proverbial cavalry and lay the concept of total war at their feet with no option to abstain. Think about that, Mrs. Arlington. I read the reports. Granted, you have, but I don't believe reading the words off the page will have conveyed this sufficiently. Really put yourself in the head of John Sykes, looking down his scope at the man who raised him. Go on. I don't consider it surprising at all that he snapped. I don't blame the men who followed him south, even when they fired back upon us. And I do not regret taking him down. He had become immensely dangerous, not just as a person. As a symbol. Right. A man who stands his ground against the tide? That takes a lot of bravery. And in the reunified states military, we have an abundance of brave men and women. Seems like we need to come up with a way to prevent it getting to the stage Sykes was at. Seems like it. And for the record, yes, I think Annie and I could take out eight men in a second or two. But in that time, a shot will have been fired off from them. You could have a dozen sharpshooters of our aptitude. But if there are multiple marks, there is no way to quickly react as one in a manner that's 100% effective. People are all too different. General Curtis was in his offices, poring over a map of the Baltimore area, his steely gaze running over the model units he had emplaced on the known landscape. He stood as we entered and gave a courtly bow. That silver horseshoe of a mustache twitched and bristled into a smile. Mrs. Arlington, it is a pleasure as always. Why, you look like bluebells in a sunlit glade. Thank you, General Curtis. Might we have a moment of your time? Yes, ma'am. I was about to take a walk, so by all means come out and inspect the troops with me. It would be my pleasure. The general led us through the army base, past the troops. I was determined to continue refusing to fear them. But the thought of Captain Sykes and his righteous indignation was gnawing at me. Nevertheless, I still reveled in a swell of pride I always get when I see the blue uniforms lined up again in the midst of a silent, dignified, and meticulously coordinated rifle drill. Major Butler? Sir? She treating you right? Yes, sir. Continue to do that. He's already sorely missed around these parts. Oh, I will. How go the preparations? A little more headway on the supply lines. We're now due to set out around March 16th. Recruitment goals are lower than we had estimated. 
But we can still press on with the plan, the numbers being as they are. Any ideas being put forth by the soldiers for ways to improve matters? All the ones still carrying swords would like to trade those in for a clementine soon. Minimize the blood spray they encounter. That's a priority, and we are making them as fast as we can. But we still need more metal and wood than we can lay hands on to meet the demand right now. I think we need to reopen a mine and get us some raw material. You know what the ones made out of scraps are like. Yep. Better to have fewer weapons to go around than a lot of unreliable ones. Oh, and now that you mentioned requests, there was this one group who were pressing for a show. Like a play? Bigger. Better. I'm talking about grand entertainment for all the troops. Something to look forward to while they're out on the road. Get some famous names up there on stage to inspire them. A little music. Some dancing girls. How about dancing fellas? Those too. These boys and girls could use a little razzmatazz to go with the red, white, and blue. Perhaps Major Butler here can do some of his famed sharpshooting. I would be happy to. Something to just relieve the tension. Inspire them. Give them a hero. I believe it will make a difference. General, I will give that some serious thought. We shall find you a showman. Much obliged, ma'am. Now what with the numbers on the table, you may hate what I have to say next. I'd like to borrow some troops. Hmm. How long for? We have some issues I'd like to clear up, ideally before you all leave. But I may need to keep hold of them if these things take a turn for the worse. I'd rather have our reinforcements here, in Washington, than out on the road. Something big? Maybe not big. At least I pray it isn't. But definitely troublesome. You know the homestead south of here, on the way down towards Springfield? The place with the mills? I do. Last night a family of farmers had their house burned to the ground. Some men on horseback. Raiders. I think this was something else. They didn't take anything. Rebels. They weren't sporting greys, though that doesn't rule out them being rebs, of course. These men had a different approach. A burning cross was staked into the lawn in front of the house. Ma'am, if you'll forgive me, was this family of Negro origin? Yes. You think it's the clan? That was my first thought. They're almost certainly connected. At least, they wanted to make that clear to us. But something tells me this might be a progression of what we've seen in the years since 65. Something about the way they dressed. You know, back when we'd encounter them after the war, they'd wear sacks on their heads. This was far more elaborate. These men were decked out in red sheets, eye holes in the front, and pointed conical headgear. They looked quite terrifying. We think the color is a statement, a reversal of our white scarves. They don't discard the bloody cloth. Instead, it's their banner. Any reason you think these attacks might be surfacing now? Well, if they're still obsessed with white purity, to the exclusion of all other races, could be the handbook that's stirring them into action, making them step up their game. 
with what we're setting out to do in print, we've finally given them something to truly oppose. Then again, they could just be furious that a family of freedmen are occupying that land. Was the family hurt? The father was struck to the head. He's at death's door today. But they left everybody else alive. To spread the word. I've got several groups of cartographers already conducting an investigation. It's possible that these fancy costume types originated in Washington. Divested of the sheets, they could be walking among us in broad daylight and we wouldn't know. Agreed. This is a more organized group of fearmongers than we're used to. We're supposed to be afraid that they're out there. But also it seems like if they are dug into society, we'll never be able to entirely trust our neighbors. So support within the community is diminished. Divide and conquer. They don't need to conquer. Just keep us weakened to the point where we can't push forward. We can ignore this, or we can overcompensate wildly. On the one hand, we appear cold to the pain of persecuted individuals. On the other, we punish everyone with increasingly draconian enforcement of law. Either way, we look bad, and people get more afraid and lose faith in our abilities to lead them. This was carefully executed. It's the first move. Then it's going to escalate. How many troops do you need? This needs to be a proportional response. Your soldiers will be our backup. They will be specially trained for fighting humans in an urban environment with a minimum of civilians getting hurt along the way. That's our focus. We'll need 30 to 50 if you can spare that many, and we will choose the number to mobilize based on what we know of each situation as it arises. No going in blind or heavy-handed, and I hope to God we won't need more men than that. I'm giving you a yes. You may have whatever military escort you require. Just wire me the call any time, day or night. We'll bring down the thunder on these men, Mrs. Arlington. I'm no different from the Major here. You just give me a target and say when to pull the trigger. Thank you, General Curtis. I'm reminded every time we meet as to how and why you are the right man for this position. There you go making me blush, ma'am. But I reiterate, after what I've seen of their works, I'll give you whatever you need to cut this off before it becomes more troublesome. As we walked back to the carriage, Major Butler broke the silence first. Cattle thieving rebs, black market opium dealing, and now a group of hate-filled zealots trying to scare us by dressing up like ghosts. No goddamn wonder the director is getting nervous. Pardon my French. There isn't ever going to be any way to deal with these things one at a time, is there? It's just a constant shooting gallery. Well, you got your military support. It might be an idea to keep a hold of some of them when the army marches on Baltimore next month. Washington's going to be vulnerable and... I'm sorry, I forgot who I was talking to. Way ahead of you, Major. In truth, we almost certainly have enough agents to take them down in secret without help. But this isn't about secrecy, is it? You want to make an example of them, publicly, with the soldiers behind you. This is about sending a message. They're getting ready to ramp up the pressure. I want us to be seen matching that in our response. They want us secretive and divided. We'll counter that with unity. 
They want people scared. We have to address those fears and reassure them that any lurking threats will be brought out into the sunlight. Meanwhile, the draft to recruit the last suitable soldiers in the region to retake Baltimore, the next crucial city in our grand plan, is causing civil unrest. The second handbook goes to press in just over two weeks, with my husband dead set on revealing his background and ethnicity to the whole nation, a decision almost certain to cause at least one major uprising. And Joseph Tremaine is on his way here up from Atlanta with his private army, ostensibly to lend us their aid. And I've never met the fellow, but he is frequently described by the people who follow him as some kind of god-king, which makes dealing with him a whole other headache. So given the circumstances, I think it's safe to say this is going to be one hell of a month, Major Butler. Yes, ma'am, it is. been listening to episode 6 of Arlington Remastered The General written, edited and directed by Alexander Shaw Sarah Arlington performed by Maureen Foley Thomas W. Arlington and Nathaniel Curtis performed by Alex Shaw Major Frank Butler performed by Spencer Lieb Night on the Docks Complex, Prospector Theme and Battle Hymn of the Republic performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero. Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksch, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Stone Spring Maidens, the tenth book in the New Century Multiverse and the sequel to Arlington, is going through its final stages of editing the novel. It will be released shortly in paperback form and going into audio production. And the next audio series to be released after this one will be Stone Spring Maidens. Thank you.